Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking the Terror. I am your host, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California. And this is episode 18 of our podcast. And we will be covering the season two finale, uh, Into the Afterlife, episode 10 of season two. And I'm joined by my wonderful and talented co-host, the one and only Jen. How are you doing, Jen? I'm doing great. Absolutely fabulous. Very excited to be here. Very excited to talk about this last episode. Yes, I'm I'm very excited as well. And we have a special guest. This is uh, quite an honor. I'll let you introduce our guest, uh, Jen. You, um, you know, actually, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I feel like, uh, mm-hmm. although we have had a quick introduction and I've been following you on Twitter for a bit, I just don't feel like I'm qualified. So please introduce yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> qualified. <laughs> Um, my name is uh, Jason Porakawa. I'm the, uh, or I was the first assistant director on uh, uh, AMC's The Terror Infamy. Uh, and, uh, I'm a, a Vancouver-based dual category director, first AD. Um, and uh, I've, uh, I don't know, been a part of a number of different shows in Vancouver since, well, since the late uh, late 90s or early 90s I mean um, yeah and uh, was called to do uh, the terror infamy right well, you know it's funny Vancouver is you know Toronto period is just a hotbed for Hollywood um, I remember a long time ago I was an X-Files fan and I suppose still am and uh, I remember that was that, that shot there as well and uh that was actually that was actually my first uh, first AD job was the second unit on the X Files season four. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh wow! That's a great. That's where I got my start. That was a great season too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, one day we're gonna have to chop it up about that. But uh, <laughs> so uh, Vancouver, though, it has such a great history with uh, so many great productions that has taken place there, and this goes in that long line of it as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, Vancouver's become uh, a very, very uh, successful film community. Um, <clears throat> when I came here in 1989 from Calgary, Alberta, there were about six shows that were shooting in town. Now we've got over 50 productions that are shooting um, at peak times, as high as 70 shows. So wow. it's very, very uh, successful here. It's grown ever since. Wonderful. That's amazing. And I understand, um, because I was sort of cheating a little bit, I, uh, when I saw the post credits from last night's episode, I understand that you have a personal connection to uh, the history that is the terror infamy. Can you tell us about that? Well, in uh, the irony of this project and why it was so, uh, uh, such a passion project for many of us locally is that the, the Japanese Canadians basically went through the exact duplicate of the U.S. situation. Um, truthfully, the Canadian circumstances were a lot harsher um, in the sense of what's happened to the, uh, the community and what happened to the people um, after the war. Um, but uh, just like when we say an exact duplicate, it, it literally mirrored everything that happened in the U.S. Um, from the small fishing villages that were annexed and uh, and uh, the people who were uh, interned 
we're there, we're all taken to temporary uh, uh, housing uh, in uh, at a racetrack. That racetrack being uh, Hastings Park here in Vancouver, uh, like like the Santa Anita situation, uh, the families were housed in horse stalls for uh, for the duration of the holding, and then sent to uh, internment camps in the interior of British Columbia. Wow. So my family and my 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 parents uh, were both interned. My grandfather and uh, my great grandfather. Everyone was interned in uh, in what they call a Slocan Valley, which is interior British Columbia in the mountain mountainous areas. So that that is, the way that you said it, uh, where you say that a lot of people in the cast and crew had uh, a a particular passion for the project because of that connection that really i think comes out um in in the overall production but it, nothing more so than those end title credits where you see the exact here's the people that were direct descendants this is our connection there was something just absolutely fabulous about it whoever thought that idea up they deserved it yeah thoroughly uh, uh, flattered that uh, that Alex and uh, you know AMC and the project itself would uh, would do that I, I you know it's funny because Alex just asked me hey have you got any old photos of your family at the camp and I said I, I don't know so I asked my parents and they gave me that uh, a black and white of the family uh, at an anniversary right at the end of the uh, internment at the camp and so uh, I gave it to him. I said, yeah, here's a photo. Uh, you know, I made a copy and I gave it to him, not thinking much about it until uh, the uh, the end of the show when they uh, approached me and said that they were going to do, a, you know, end tags for all of us who were the, who had family that were interned. So it was really uh, uh, absolutely floored and, uh, and flattered to have that happen. Yeah. It, it segues so beautifully with Chester's story of, not just the photographer, but the memory keeper. It just absolutely, it, like Kente said, it was just a stroke of brilliance. It, it really was. Yeah, it was It was brilliant way. Um, when you look at people like Derek, uh, Mio and, uh, and George, you know, when we, when we were working on this project, you know, George and I, our connection was, was pretty deep in the sense that my parents are still alive. And so my parents had an opportunity to come to the set and meet George and have my dad and him had a good, uh, good long conversation. Um, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, George did go to the Japanese Canadian community and he, he uh, was uh, uh, escorted to all the, all the historical, you know, areas that, that took place in Canada. And of course, George was, uh, was, also moved by that because he was only aware of what was going on in the U.S. at the time, so he didn't know that uh, that Canada had the same, you know, duplicate situation. So it was a lot to share, and it was very, very passionate for all of us because, you know, you think about Derek Mio, little uh, uh, Marie, who who was the director uh, of one of our episode five. You know, all of us had family um, and history that was tied to the uh, to the actual internment circumstances. Nice. You know what's uh, real interesting uh, is the lack of knowledge about this story because you know this is something I've always knew about. Uh, my father is a, was a historian, and my mother as well, and they always taught me about a lot of different things, and this was one of them. And I was, you know, until I became older, I was surprised how much things that was 
commonly told to me that wasn't common knowledge, you know? And I know when you guys um, started, you know, promoting this, people thought it was just a made up story. They didn't realize that it was an actual, that this was a real thing. And uh, so I'm just interested about what has, what has the, um, not just from the Japanese community, but from other communities, like what have you been hearing about, um, you know, this knowledge now that it's come out in a way that people can dissect it and understand that it's real? What have you, you know, just from conversations you've had with people and whatnot? Well, I think about the, uh, <clears throat> the circumstances that took place in Canada is that, uh, you know, the Japanese community and Japanese culturally <laughs> in general, um, you know, uh, are not ones to uh, talk too much about this this past. It's a it's a very shameful thing, and and uh, it actually I wasn't it wasn't until I was in my teens that I even learned about it myself. That my parents went through this. They've kept it very very the Nisei and the and the Issei are very very much so uh, kept it uh, uh, undercover. They don't don't want to talk about it. My parents never talked about it until I had to bring it up. Um, there are a few books that are written on it. The fortunate thing is, is that I learned about it in high school because uh, there was at the time in social studies, uh, we did study the situation. However, that's long since gone away now. Right. Um, and so there's a lack of education and a lack of a desire to um, sort of expose what happened back then. And this is, this is a generational and cultural situation with the Japanese, especially the Japanese Canadian community. The, the, the Nisei uh, and the Issei generations, or the first and second generations, uh, ha had very much so planned to keep it quiet and not, not stir the pot. The, the word that, the, that uh, uh, Chester uses all the time, and, and it comes up on, on the dialogue in Japanese on the terror itself, is, is a word called shigatakanai. And shigatakanai means basically let it be war is war you know these are the circumstances and so it was it was something that that uh, uh, the community has always kept very quiet now for us fortunately the canadians we learned it in high school but once in 1986 when uh, the government gave its apology uh, then that that ended the, the 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 education side of it at least as far as i know because they don't teach it anymore in school right. um, but in terms of the community it's been something that they've tried to keep quiet. They've, you know, I, I was raised in a in a middle class world where I went to my high school and I went to my junior high and my elementary school and I didn't know anything about it until uh, I studied in social studies and went home and said, "Hey, what's what's the deal? <laughs> you know, were we turned?" And that's when my parents both went, "Oh yeah, I guess we'll tell you." Oh God! It's, it's very much so. My generation, you know, which are the Sansei and the Yonsei, they don't know much about it. And what was so compelling and what was so exciting uh, was when I was called, you know, to interview for the project or to, to meet for the project, when I learned about what it was that we were setting this horror story backdrop on, uh, I was so thrilled to be actually doing something that uh, that, that told that story. because. You know, as I've said, and I've said this in other pasts, the story of the internment has never been uh, something that uh, has been wanted to be uh, exposed and played out. A couple of films that were made in the U.S., uh, Snow Falling on Theaters, um, Come See the Paradise, Alan Parker film, beautiful films, but they were very unsuccessful in terms of their, uh, their box office. And so 
the, the desire to <clears throat> tell that story itself in its, in its singularity uh, never seemed to come to fruition anymore. But a horror story with that as a backdrop, I thought was a brilliant way to open an, uh, you know, an audience uh, to a wider, uh, wider scope. I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually from Hawaii oh. and I've been here for quite some time. Um, and the, the community here that understands both what happened, in fact, the bond ceremony at the end of the terror also just made me so happy. I, I've participated in many of them and I just absolutely love them. Um, but the, 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 the culture here has the same kind of uh, dichotomy, which is one of the reasons that I thought that this was such an amazing show. And so many people here watched it with almost just wide-eyed wonder because it hadn't been introduced before as something like it was almost like acknowledging that this was actually something that happened. It wasn't just something that is part of your family history look this is this actually cements it in history and it, it it's funny because again you know living here there's reminders all over the place but it's such a strange mix of where we have this american peace that that fits along with it but we have such a huge amount of japanese influence here that you can't sort of separate that out and I feel honestly that the last George Takai, one of George Takai's lines was um, he's in Hawaii where everybody is Japanese. Yeah. I love that because I felt like that's just so true. <laughs> yeah. It's great that you picked up on a lot of these, you know, these moments on the, on the show and that, that the people have, I, because <clears throat> as it, as it progresses, you, you know, my, my concern, you know, when we, when we started shooting the show was a, whether or not the performances were going to be, you know, the caliber to a, a big show like this, you know, because you, you do look and think about what kind of a, you know, Japanese American talent base there is. Right. And, uh, and so you worry about, will will it be, you know, good enough? Will people be, be uh, compelled to watch it? And the other side of it was that, uh, that the storyline is, you know, it's not something that is everybody knows about bakemonos and yureis and and the Japanese sort of uh, cultural uh, mythologies that that go along with all of this. It, it was something that uh, I know that there was concern about whether or not, and I think AMC probably as well. You know, uh, were concerned about whether or not people would be able to stick, stay tuned to it, or 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 be able to grasp, you know, the concept. But um, it is amazing how many people, especially on the fan fan pages, who you know have have questions and 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 ask about these things, storyline beats or moments that I I thought that most people would overlook. But uh, it's great, it's great that people pick up on that. But those moments, those dialogue moments, those last words, you know, Derek's uh, uh, or, or Chester's last words at the Obon ceremony, I think. You know, uh, were were a fabulous way to to you know, punch the ending at that of that show. So I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, you know the, the combination as you were saying about you know combining the Mexican uh, mythology to the Japanese uh, cultural mythology was a brilliant plan. I thought that was fabulous and 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 uh, thrilled to know that that because the actions of you know the ceremony and 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 the mythology of one. Uh, uh, to a race of people could actually step that boundary into 
you know, the world of another culture was, uh, I thought was brilliant because it brought their family and the, the Nakayamis together uh, to battle the creed, the, 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 the spirit. And I thought that was just a perfect way, you know, to, to show that you have a, uh, a weighted, you know, a sense of, of, of uh, potential loss from both sides, not just from, from the, the, you know, Henry and, and Chester, but also from Luz and her family. You know, you know, what's interesting is this is a season two, right, of a, of a TV show. And in the first season, um, it's, it's interesting that a, a tiny Japanese woman could have the same uh, gravitas as the crazy uh, psycho polar bear from the first season. <laughs> I'm like, I'm more scared of her. Than the well, you know, it was the, the brilliant part about the, the project and, and what I loved about it was that it wasn't a duplicate. Right. You know, it, it, the whole atmosphere, the whole, you know, I love the cinematography. You know, John Conroy is the genius. He's probably if he doesn't get an award for something on this, I'd be I'd be really heartbroken because he is a guy who uh, relentlessly, you know, took the time to to get the lighting the way he wanted it, the way to express the, you know, the dynamics of all the characters. And what, what I love about his lighting and what about is it sets a mood that is in an atmosphere and then combined with the Japanese sort of, you know, uh, cultural quietness and, and melod almost melodical uh, speech, especially with the, uh, the young, uh, uh, um, the young girls and that it really, it really creates this, this sort of atmosphere and flow that I know wasn't like the first season. Mm -hmm. The first season was desperation. It was, you know, cold, frigid cold. It was, you know, people uh, uh, stuck in, in a claustrophobic world in which they, you know, uh, have no world outside at all. But uh, I found uh, uh, the terror was actually quite open in terms of, you know, the world around them. But it was beautiful in that sense. It was melodic in that sense. And that's what I loved about it so much. So uh, on the podcast, I have actually commented a number of times on the technical brilliance of the lighting. Specifically, um, there's one scene where they are dancing, where um, the Nakayamas are dancing under the artificial light bulbs and they're dancing to Duke Ellington. It's, a it's, it's actually a flashback scene. Mm. And it's beautiful uh, from the the emotional side of it but it is underscored i think by the technical brilliance of that scene in that they are dancing under the stars the lighting which is basically the stars and how close everything is it's so personal and so absolutely intimate and in a world where things were clearly not that way that the way that they were able to represent that was just absolutely fabulous so just know that you've got one huge fan of the entire series that absolutely comments on the technical brilliance of it and you know the other thing i wanted to comment on just before we i forget is i did mention this in the forum but the 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 I, there is nothing more american to me than the blending of cultures and the way that uh, the Mexican culture 
came together with Japanese culture to me is about the most American thing that they could have done because that cultural blending is exactly how we become who we are. And a new mythology is, is sort of presented and created from that blend. And it, I mean, honestly, I was just blown away. It just absolutely was astounding. And this last episode, if I could be so bold, was the it, it absolutely was a crescendo of um of of everything it it didn't just sort of end like oh this is the finale it came to a crash in beauty so i i, I again you, as if you can't tell i absolutely loved it well i i have to you know i, I would it would be remiss of me to to not tip a hat to Barry Dunleavy, who was the DP for a director of photography for that sequence that you, you talk about because we were alternating, you know, John Conroy and Barry Dunleavy were both uh, director of photography. Uh, and, and I had uh, my, my duplicate as well, which is uh, uh, Chris Lamb, who was the first AD on the other episodes. Um, you know, the, the, the thing about, any episodic, and, and especially when you're when you're running a, a long, you know, ten episode run, is the ability for the director of photography's uh, photographers to to duplicate or to create the same mood for the run of the show. Um, right. And and uh, and both were technically different, both DPs, but their work, you know, was was beautiful and amazing on both sides. So, you know, from that point, uh, uh, I, I tip my hat, yes, to them technically and to them as as uh, artists for what they did. Um, when we when we talk about the blending of cultures, yeah, I, I agree. It's it, it really makes it a unique uh, storyline. And and I, you know, when we shoot shows like this, especially in the in the timing that we have, you know, that project was for me. Uh, from November till May. That was the entire run of the show, 10 episodes, um, from the day that I started prepping the show to the uh, to the end of May, I think it was 18th or something like that. Um, that 10 episode run, you know, is the window in which you have to create what you're trying to create. Now, by good fortune, you, and you also think about this when you go, when you're shooting about karma and, and, and what's gonna happen you know, in terms of production, but the two things that, that for me, I guess three things that, that really were, were moments that I was so thrilled that, that they worked. Um, one was, was the opening sequence when, uh, when our, the young lady walks down the boardwalk and, and commits suicide with the, uh, the uh, hairpin. Hair um, <clears throat> when we shot that, we were literally scrambling to get that, that work done in the light that was that was that we shot it in if you notice that everything is there's nothing not original about that that is the sunset that is what we call magic hour that was a window of about an hour to get those shots done to wow. capture that moment now that's one so as soon as we shot that we knew immediately okay when we saw the final footage it was well you know we we've got something here and we've got something that that is compelling. The next moment is um, uh, the cherry blossom sequence. You know, we were scouting a completely different location. Uh, the scene where um, where uh, Chester is is paying and everyone are paying their respects to um, the funeral sequence with uh, with um, uh, Henry. Um, it was while we were scouting that that we noticed the cherry blossom orchard at the same park, 
Oh, and, nice. and, and we noticed that, and we knew, of course, that blossoms were starting to, to burst, but we came across a field of it that was just in full bloom. And so it was a mad scramble to get a camera and an actress and, you know, and all the, all the necessary equipment and things to get down there to capture that moment. Because they only had a window of about four days before all of those blossoms basically fall away. Um, so we got it. We managed to get it. We scrambled. We got everything together. We, we, we pushed very hard to make the – it wasn't during our actual shoot days. So it was while we were prepping our episodes, we had to throw a camera together and get out there and pull the actress off the set from the other set to, to get her ready and get that shot. But when we finished it, we knew we also had something, a gemstone. It was a moment where you're mining for gold and suddenly you get that moment. And it was, and it, it, it was so beautiful in terms of a way to end uh, uh, Yuko's situation, you know, was just wandering out into the blossom field was purely good fortune for us, as well as the obon ceremony. The obon ceremony all you can do is roll the dice and hope it's not going to dump rain on us because <laughs> in, Vancouver, in Vancouver it rains. And so, again, it's it's literally about being able to organize and throw that together and roll the dice and hope and pray that it's not going to dump <laughs> rain on us in the middle of our shoot because we only had the one day and we only had that location for that you know span of time to shoot it. And so all of those moments, if the karma's good and the karma's right, um, they get captured. And and for us, I think we realized that we had captured some real gemstones to make the show that much more potent. You know, um, I the opening to the finale was amazing with uh, George Takai. And and when it reveals that, uh, you know, the dream sequence, it was so that was such a great scene. I really oh, yeah. enjoyed that. Um, can you just uh, speak to uh, were you? Were you um, that was yeah. I was good at that. So, can you just speak to how that came off and and all of that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, <clears throat> Fred Toy, who was the director of that episode and and the one prior to it, um, I think is a brilliant, brilliant director. His work is uh, is fantastic, and he does all of the major shows from Westworld to uh, Apple C. He's 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 a phenomenal director, and and when it comes to capturing those moments, you as a as especially as a director, you have to envision beyond what is directly in front of you. That road is a road out in uh, in a rural field that we uh, had to shoot that sequence next to um, a rock quarry because the rock quarry was what we needed for the sequence where uh, where they go and escape uh, into uh, into the um, military uh, uh, oh yeah well that that location was our major location because it had a lot of work there night it had uh, uh, lighting that had to be done and we had to utilize the space on a limited amount of time because it was an actual working rock, rock quarry so mm -hmm. we knew that we had to to link a location with it that would work you know for the schedule so uh near the rock quarry was an open field uh, of roads and the director basically said, you know, along with the DP, this is this is where we want to do this. Now, for all intents and purposes, every time you see Henry coming, or not Henry, but uh, um, uh, uh, Yamato coming towards us, or or Saab Shimono's character coming towards us, they're both coming from the same direction because we only could want we'll shoot one way, right. because uh, 
one side was the rock quarry. So um, you, you literally had only one direction to go. But what, what he understood and what he envisioned, um, especially the moments when, you know, we lined all the actors up and, and uh, for that last moment, that last beat where the girl reveals her, you know, the child is revealed with the, the horrible, horrible radiation burns. You know, all of that was, you know, again, that, that has everything to do with what the director and the DP had envisioned would would be what you saw. And in the end, when I watch it, I, you know, I'm notably, you know, amazed because the the visuals that the the, the visual effects people did to to create the the backdrop uh, along that road uh, worked really brilliantly. It was it was the dream sequence worked. And uh, again, that was just a just a, a road, a roll you know, dirt road <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. You well, know, I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jen. I, I was just going to say, I knew that I was going to love George Takai from the moment that I found out that he was going to be involved in the terror. Um, I was absolutely astounded by both his performances and just having him be uh, a presence on screen. There was something absolutely magical about it, not just because he's just such a fabulous person, but because everybody who knows anything about him knows that he's got such a personal connection to this. And his ability to be in that character, it just absolutely floored me. And I was wondering, did, did you get a chance to work with him? And what did you think? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, I've been in the business 30 years. You know, I grew up... Uh, you know, in, in theater, I, I did theater, I was a singer, and I was an actor, and I was a, uh, you know, and I got into film. Um, and every Japanese, you know, Western kid watched Star Trek. I mean, come on, you can't, you cannot, like, to have, to, to know, when, when I found out it was going to be, that George was going to be on the show, I was complete. I, I lost it. I was like, oh my God, I'm an Mr. You know, I'm a, look, I'm, I'm a 53-year-old Trekkie. I am. I will openly admit it. I, 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 and all the guys that I work with and all the guys that are assistant directors who are my buddies and directors, we all watch Star Trek. I'm sorry, but we watch it. We're a bunch of nerds, I guess. But you know, to actually walk onto a set and sit down and meet the man was beyond, especially as an Asian, Asian kid, you know, was beyond amazing. Um, the fact that he was such a, a wonderful man was even tenfold, you know, added to the, the joy of working with him. He's a beautiful, beautiful person. He's, he takes the time to talk to anyone and, and he's very, very generous and very, very giving man. And, uh, and to have him headline the project, especially as the, our, our major celebrity, you know, uh, face, face marker on the show, um, was was genius and and was brilliant in the fact that George had a tie to that history. But the, what I loved about him was that he was never afraid to let us know about that history. And it was very good for me because my parents, you know, obviously were the same age as him, um, and uh, so they had, they, you know, there was a connection there, uh, even closer for myself with George because uh, you know I, I could relate and my parents could relate because they. Or they're still alive, and, they, and so it was a real—it was a real joy and a grand experience. Totally, yes. George is brilliant. I have nothing bad to say about George. George <laughs> is awesome. That is so cool. Yeah, that's always you know cool. what? 
I will live my life now as a, as a happy man to have actually sat beside this man. And, and you know, I, I, I have fabulous photos with him and, and uh, we have great conversations. A decent, decent fella. You've worked with uh, two Japanese uh, legends, uh, George Takai and Godzilla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was an actor in that. Right, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, that was uh, Ken Watanabe. But I didn't work with him. I only worked with, um, uh, what's his name from Breaking Bad? Uh, oh, uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston. No, I mean, actual guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but actual Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla. He's, he's a legend, right? Yeah, no, Godzilla was my legend. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I know you have to go, but we would love to um, to have you back on to talk about uh, future projects. Um, what's the um, if somebody wants to know about what you have coming up? What's the best way to find out? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, IMDb is always the uh, the, the mainline thing for most of us in the industry, you know. Um, but uh, as an AD, I you know I work on everything. I just came off the Flash. Um, I, I, uh, I'm starting a series now for NBC called Brand New Cherry Flavor. Um, and uh, who knows? And this is what I love about film. It, next next project, well, if it, they keep coming up here, um, who knows what it'll be. But it's always exciting. Nice. Well, thank you so much, sir. Yeah, it's thank you so honor. much. We love the show. And uh, looking forward to what comes next in your career. And uh, if there's, hopefully there'll be a season three. I so. Yeah, and I hope Alex Wu does it. Oh, hey, I, I'm all for that. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. You, you have a good one. All right. All right. All right. That was awesome. That was Jason Furukawa. Uh, and, um, man, that what a great way to uh, start this finale episode, Jen. So, yeah, first of all, big, big thank you. That was really uh, it's not often I feel like that we get to see sort of behind the scenes of the shows that we all love so much and then even sometimes when we do it's mostly from the actor's perspective and so having someone who is either uh, in the directorial or um, it, from the technical side it it really does add a new element of and a breadth of uh, sort of I don't, I'm trying to think of the right word to say, but it basically gives us a lot of depth into the material that we've seen. So I, I, I want to say before I can say anything else that the last episode of The Terror had me sitting on my couch crying and crying and crying. I, I don't, I think I, I'm not even sure when the last time a show made me cry so much was, and it wasn't a sad cry it was oh my god i am so glad that i was so wrong about what was going to happen i never could have imagined that the show would end on such a high and such a perfectly blended note i i mean honestly i was starstruck as much as i was just absolutely astounded by it. So before I go off into all of my, what I really love, tell me what you thought. No, it was, I think it was the best episode of the season. Hands down. It had you from the jump that opening scene. Like, I, I mean, I couldn't talk about it enough. Uh, I actually almost called you. I almost paused and called you after it. Cause it was such a, 
I mean, what a way to get it going and you right. automatically feel it, you know? And uh, I just thought that was, it was a great way to, to, um, you know, uh, show what has happened and to talk about it as well. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It, and it looked great too. And to find out, you know, um, the little behind the scenes about it, I thought it was great. I thought all the performances were excellent and on point as, as they've been always. Um, my I my favorite actor in the whole thing as far as um like I would say their character and what they have to do and stuff is uh is Henry. Um he is such a fantastic actor. I mean everybody is, but he's such a fantastic actor. Right. And he does this thing that's so awesome where even when he's not speaking, you can like his face tells a lot. You know right. what I'm saying? Yep. And the way that he emotes and, you know, and there's some things that he says that are so heartbreaking, you know, um, it, you know, I just think he's, you know, I think he's a fantastic actor. And, you know, when he has to, you know, when he shoots himself, you know, under the control, uh, that was a sad scene, you know, that, that was really sad. That's like my favorite character. So, you know, um, unfortunately, my favorite character got it in there, but he's a fantastic actor. Uh, let me, you know, uh, let me do him justice and say his his name. Um, so, so well, you know, one if I can just make a, if I can make a, an observation about that particular scene, mm -hmm. <clears throat> one of the things that I think was so uh, over the top about wh why it was so impactful <clears throat> that Henry's death meant something so big is because he did it in service of his son and his grandchild. I yeah, mean, so, uh, Usami. Right. And, you know, clearly Henry uh, has had his issues with Chester. Clearly uh, Chester's ability to, um, to sort of see where his dad was coming from was so, it was so obscured. There were so many uh, moments where Chester just couldn't see what his dad was all about. And I think the other way was true as well. You know, Henry couldn't see why Chester was behaving the way that he was behaving. But in the end, in the end, that it was Henry that got the sutras. It was Henry who thought all the way through to what could happen at that, uh, at that grave site. And it was Henry ultimately... I would say, who was able to uh, to save the situation from being um, macabre to start. I mean, everything that basically happened in that scene happened because Henry had the forethought to do some things that slowed the process down and then it allowed Chester to sort of put some other plans in place. So I, I, it was pretty phenomenal. It was just phenomenal. Mm, yeah, no, it was excellent. I um, really, really enjoyed his performance throughout the whole thing. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, I, I've, I really enjoyed this episode quite a bit. And I, like I said, you know, I, there's been episodes that I love and episodes I didn't love, you know, throughout this whole process. And I was so glad it ended on a great note. And I think that this story definitely needed to end with hope, you know. Um, I think that that is really good, you know. 
and you know, I just enjoyed it. Uh, I'm, I want to talk about the confrontation, you know, between and, Yuko and Chester. Yes. And, um, just, you know, give me your thoughts first. Well, so, okay. So one of the things that, uh, that, and I, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about this in the season or the episode before, but one of the things that has always been sort of amazing about the terror is the, the, the use of photography as a plot device on its own. And the, the way that, remember when Henry tears up the picture of Chester and thereby sort of dashes Chester's dream of, no, see, I'm the one that's going to actually commit suicide. And then uh, what will happen is you know, I'll go in my son's place. Um, there was something sort of amazing about that, but the, but what it, and what it felt like to me was that the battle was not Yuko versus Chester. The battle felt like it was Yuko versus the living world. And so all of the living world had to come to bear in order to sort the Yuri out and, I feel like they did such a, just a spectacular job of making that very apparent. It really was everybody in the living world that participated to keep the child away from Yuko. I, I mean, Chester got shot in the leg. Um, the, the Luce was at one point possessed by uh, Yuko. This, the whole thing was just absolutely masterfully put together, but the the my most favorite part of the entire episode and um our guest just alluded to it well actually did more than allude to it but um spoke about how in the scene with the cherry blossoms and, and you know i don't know if everybody understands the cultural significance of cherry blossoms in the japanese culture but it's big it's very big and i won't go into all of it right now but just let's just say that the significance is it, it it's you can't understate it. And so the idea that Yuko goes off with the ultimate amount of hope with the, the, the her decaying body fusing with her spirit and things are restored back to this sense of balance. And then she walks into the cherry blossoms, which just absolutely was a stunning uh, visual anyway. There was something so spiritually satisfying about watching that because it 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 really did take chester to let go of the idea that the yuri was just the manifestation of evil and he had to embrace the idea that the yuri had something that that the yuri needed something of hope that that there it wasn't it wasn't just that she was an evil spirit. It was that she was a spirit that was restless and needed closure. And what better closure to have than to be at the moment when you had the most hope of your whole short life. I, I honestly, again, I can't overstate this. I just felt like it was brilliant. No, I agree. Uh, kudos. Uh, it was excellent. I, I, I was wondering, you know, so 
I, I know we're skipping around a little bit, but in terms of, I just, I got to go back to the sutras for a second. So that to me was actually a, a bit of um, a, a bit of plot brilliance, right? We saw Yuko's um, where she had been staying, and apparently she had been planning for months to take the baby back, right? Because the whole inside of that shack was covered with um, all kinds of writing on the wall. And for Henry to put together that the that the sutras would would sort of uh, immobilize the spirit. First of all, that was pretty brilliant, I think, on Henry's part. But secondly, the visual of that was also just stunning. It, it was just stunning to see that so much planning had gone into this. I mean, it felt like this wasn't just. Uh, it wasn't just that Yuko had made a plan to take the baby back. It was that she had planned every little thing. And uh, th that kind of dedication, when it comes, I mean, for people, it would be a big deal. But when you think about what Yuko really was, the embodiment of uh, the spirit, it took on, to me, it took on a brand new relevance. What did you think? Yeah. Oh no. She was definitely a planner. Uh, she definitely uh, had most of her ducks in a row um, when it came to uh, her 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 uh, plot. There, um, I I really think that um, that you know I don't know. This is I you know I hate to keep comparing the first and second season, right? But there are some there there, and I'm gonna explain what I mean by that. Is when Tuambach, when Tuambach finally dies, there is some kind of sympathy for Tuambach, right? When didn't right. when you say that? Well, a little. I mean, I yeah. When when Yuri. Um, there was something tragic about her, her death and sad, you know, like, and like, I don't know. I don't know if you felt this, but you, what, did you have any sympathy for her? Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, throughout this, almost the entire thing. And I was like, Oh man, am I crazy? No, oh. I, I think throughout the entire season, actually Yuko has been sympathetic under the guise of we're assigning evil to her based on what we see because the camera only allows us to see certain things. But by the time that we get to this, again, this crescendo of an ending, everything, if you put it into retrospect now and you see things with sort of, you know, the, the hindsight that we now have, everything feels like it. this is just not just a restless spirit, but a spirit that needed to have closure, a spirit that needed to have hope because there was no hope. And, uh, you know, it's strange, although I can't quite tie the threads together because I don't, I'd have to do a little bit more thinking about it. There is something about those threads between, um, between Chester's mom and uh, Yuko that sort of in those moments where she is feeling the ultimate amount of guilt, where she is feeling like um, all of them really, that 
things didn't go properly for Yuko and that they bear some of that guilt. To me, that piece is, is a really important piece in us understanding how it was that Yuko could finally let go because she had been given now all of the truth, right? Before that, that truth had been obscured, obfuscated from her was all of these little secrets. And now those secrets were out. And in the light of day, they could be processed. Uh, well, the light of day might not be the right way to say it, but without having all of those secrets be around, she could finally process all of that and, and figure out a way to accept the fact that she could be, that she could have hope again. And when, she, when Chester says, you know, think about the, 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 um, the time when you felt the most hope, it, it, what is very interesting to me is that it, it really is at the, at a moment before all of this happened when she just knew that she was going to have a baby. It wasn't when she found out that she was going to go to America. It wasn't, you know, when she found out, I mean, clearly she was an unwed parent and yet her moment of hope was when she knew that she had new life growing inside of her. And that, that feels so huge in the scope of this story. Do you know what I mean? No, I definitely understand what you're saying. And, uh, you know, one thing I like about her character is that she's complex, you know? Yes. It, it isn't just, I'm, I, I, you know, she's evil and when that's just what it is. You know? She knew. So. And, uh, and also, you know, if we're going to make a comparison to the terror for season one, oh, this, this ending is honestly the ending maybe not quite as much hope but some just in terms of of having a complete resolution that i wish the terror in season one had had it didn't need to be happy but it needed to be more fulfilling and this season had the most fulfilling ending i think that like i said i've never been more happy that i was wrong I've never been more happy. Luce and Chester adopting the kids from the school. All those little things when they all come and get their portrait taken and we see every single person's picture and there is nothing. It's flawless. The, the photographs are flawless. There's no Yuri. There's no weird lines. There's no, everything is perfect. And even at the end at Henry's wedding, uh, Henry's wedding, Henry's funeral, when, um, when we feel the gust of wind, right? It's it's muted, it's calmer. It's like, okay, I'm here, whatever that is. Maybe it was maybe it was zero, I don't know. But whatever it was, it, it was well intentioned because it didn't cause chaos. Right? Do you know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you're saying. Yes. And that seemed to me to be a bit of uh that, you know, kind of resolution that even though it's not overt, it still feels like we can draw resolution from it. I really did. I honored that so much. I absolutely loved it. Chester's final words about having the ceremony because this is the way that we remember and we can't ever forget is, I mean, it's just absolutely breathtaking 
in the sense that this is this is what makes us who we are who we are as people is what we remember as the 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 aspects of our lives we don't want to repeat things that are hurtful and harmful we want to revel in the things that are good um but we have to always honor the fact that sometimes bad things happen we can't just forget them. We have to remember them and honor them for being a part of who we are. And it just absolutely, it hit me in such a huge way that Chester completely understood what his dad had said to him all those years. It just took him all of this time to process it. And, you know, before I forget, uh, I, I think also one of my favorite scenes out of the uh, finale was Chester standing on the boat with his dad. Yes. And his dad telling Chester, see, I'm going to get all teary thinking about it. And Chester telling, I mean, I'm sorry, Henry telling Chester that, that the only time he's ever felt at much at peace as he is when he's on the ocean is when he first held his baby boy. Aww. I mean, that was just absolutely, in, in, in a strange way, I feel like it actually tied together the idea of why the Yuri was so single-minded and what that sense of peace really was about, that contentment was about, and why it was so important. Because even Henry had the same feeling. Even Henry had that very same uh, connection to I am the most content or I was the most content when I when I was holding my baby boy. That was just huge. And also when Chester says, uh, or I'm sorry, Henry says to Chester, um, do you want to go out on the water? And Chester says, um, I have too much to do. Mm -hmm. That was really nice. I really like that. Like, you know, I can't spend time with you in the afterlife, but because I've got so much to do in my life, but what a beautiful way of saying that. Yeah, well, you better not do that to me. Um, yeah, okay, well, I mean, if I can come back and haunt people, I, no, I won't, no, no. No, no I'm saying if I was the one to go first. Oh, if uh, you were. And I'm like, hey, let's hang out, and you're like, oh, I got shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be mad. I'm gonna be like, really? I'm dead, really? You ain't so, got time for me. So, you know, something something interesting that I think uh, sort of that was just a neat little facet was clearly, clearly Henry didn't know. The, or if he did, it was it was really uh, understated. I don't think Henry knew that he was dead. No. Right? I mean, it was, it was, this is a moment that Chester had captured with Henry at sea. And then the, the magic brought him to that moment. And I, I, I mean, I don't know. That was just amazing. I just felt like that was amazing. What an amazing experience to have, to be able to uh, feel as if you are so connected. And this is another Japanese thing to feel so connected to your ancestors that you could talk to them. Like that kind of like huge. A Jedi. What's that? Kind of like a Jedi. Uh, yeah, I guess in some ways, right? 
it, it it's just such a uniquely uh it's not a very american cultural value that we don't we don't think of that we think of the dead as being the dead and gone and unless they're like haunting us like a ghost or something we don't really think about our ancestral spirits as being entities or living uh entities i guess is a good word um we just don't have that kind of connection to them but in other cultures they really do and what an awesome way to kind of bridge that gap. I, I just, I, I really did like it. I thought that was really great. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Because I think that this, in the overall sense of what we have seen over 10 episodes, it's important to put the ending of the story in perspective. So, I mean, I've, I've been on board for liking this series ever since the beginning. I've had some ups and downs with it and some, you know, kind of difficult. I wonder if people are going to get this and is the mythology too complicated or, you know, all those things, all the questions that I brought. But the ending to me feels like it, was very redemptive in terms of any of the missing pieces that I thought couldn't they couldn't overcome. Um, and I'm wondering how you feel in terms of whether you think that the ending um, redeemed this the series for you in 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 those particular ways as well because you've been a, a harsher critic of it than I have. No, I you know what I have to say it ended very well and i am very happy with the way it ended because i was concerned mm. you know i was concerned i wasn't sure and you know maybe it's just because hollywood sometimes is hit and miss right so no but no they nailed it they nailed the landing and that goes a long way it 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 does it i i think it does for uh, for a lot of other people too. I noticed a lot of social media talk last night uh, about the terror that was, um, you know, oh my gosh, this, this is the, this is the show that I wanted to watch. This is where all the magic was. This is the, you know, sort of spectacularness of, uh, of what I expected. And honestly, look, I'm, I'm not trying, trying to draw too much of a metaphor out through all of this, but really when you think about it, the 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 suffering and the amount of absolute horrible truth that is in all of these episodes is worth watching because there is there is there is a an element of both narrative beauty and technical beauty um but there is also a narrative of hidden history that when you feel like, wow, you know, this is hard to watch because it feels so hopeless because, you know, well, what really is going to happen in islands? I feel like this is exactly why you should watch the whole thing from start to finish. Because it is in one sense, it is kind of an honoring of what really did happen and how difficult that was. So the, all of the stuff that they bring forward is some of it is it's genuinely difficult to watch, but the more that you watch it, the more you realize that 
that the end, I think it makes, I guess what I'm saying is I think it makes the ending that much more satisfying because we have been through so much. Yeah. It feels like we've all went on a journey together. Yeah. Uh, For good and for bad. I mean, there have been some episodes for me that didn't work as well as other episodes, but they all were important parts of this, uh, of the narrative that really, each kind of told their own little piece of the story. And and with, you can't, I don't think you can separate out any one piece of the story and have it make sense. Like everything needs to sort of be there in order for the story to make sense completely. And I feel like they did such a fabulous job in that respect. Not yet, kudos. They did an excellent job with that, yeah. And uh, it was so good to hear to hear uh you know uh jason talk about you know what it meant to them to to pull this off you know that's the kind of stuff that i really love you know right yeah yeah and also you know you can really feel that there was passion behind the project which is always a good sign for the project it's always a good sign that you'll get something good out of it when people are super invested in it. And I know for a, for a fact that not everybody who was involved in this, you know, had some kind of uh, connection to the show, but what they had was a, a want and desire to tell the story as, uh, as a force unto itself. And I feel like they really succeeded there. Yes. I agree a hundred percent. So um yeah hopefully there's a season three and i'm very interested to what kind of story they would tell i i hope so too i just read a quick article about what uh the the, i don't know if you can hear that i'm so sorry there's something happening in the background um got a lion in the background yeah something like that i think somebody's got their car on rev um I, i was just reading an article about why uh, the idea of the anthology series is such a powerful one and why networks should really be looking at how important these stories can be and how they can diversify both who the writers are that they bring in, the talent that they bring in, and the amount and uh, I guess the the breadth of stories that they can tell by creating anthology series. So it was kind of interesting. And also, you know, we know basically that the terror for AMC was such a, a um, it was such a good success for them in the in the that very beginning that they almost immediately announced a season two. So I am hoping that with enough fan support that that is what happens here too. Me too. Definitely. So, so, mm-hmm. so I am going to ask you, uh, do you have anything to sort of sum up? Is there anything that you'd like to say? No, just um, it was uh, it, it was a, a joy to podcast this season of tar- the terror and looking forward to if there's going to be another season uh, continuing. I, I agree. It's been an absolute joy to be a, a connected to the story, feel like there is some uh, beauty in just sort of knowing what was going to, no, well, not even knowing what was going to happen. Uh, being so wrong about so much actually made me very, very, very happy. So I'm, I love it when things surprise me in that way. It feels really fresh and uh, lots of respect to everybody. 
So how can people find you on social media? They can do so by getting me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson on Instagram. And of course, the website is IndieRadio.org. How can they get you, Jen? They can find me on Twitter at following bliss one. And you can find me at, uh, oh my God, that was my computer. I am so sorry, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me uh, on my websites at moviesmakethemeal.com and criticallapse.com. I, I do want to say to anybody who hasn't seen the series yet, um, it is definitely, it, you're, it's time well spent. And if you ever need somebody to hang out and chat with about it, you know two people that you can come to. That's right. Catch you next time.